Hey there, Hang Up listeners. You're about to hear a preview of this week's episode of our show. The coronavirus pandemic has made it a challenge for us to do Hang Up in a financially sustainable way. Because of that, we're temporarily changing how we do the podcast. Every other week, the full Hang Up and Listen will be for Slate Plus members only, with just the first segment available to non-members. If you want to hear every word of every episode that we do, you need to subscribe to Slate Plus. It's only $35 for the first year, and your membership will help assure that we can continue doing Hang Up and Listen for a very long time. If you want to subscribe, go to slate.com slash hangupplus. That's slate.com slash hangupplus. Thanks so much. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hide your children. Hi, I'm Josh Levine, Slate's national editor, and this is Hang Up and Listen for the week of August 10th, 2020. On this week's show, we'll discuss the likely-to-be-non-existent 2020 college football season and why it's not going to happen. Maybe it will. Probably won't. We'll also talk about the latest from inside the NBA bubble, where Damian Lillard is beefing with the Clippers, and Luka Doncic is very good at basketball. And finally, we'll discuss the ouster of Texas Tech women's basketball coach Marlene Stallings and the state of the sideline tyrant. I'm the author of The Queen, the host of Slow Burn Season 4. I'm coming to you from Washington, D.C. My crony, Stefan Fatsis, is off this week. With me, as always, from the West Coast, another crony, Slade staff writer, host of Slow Burn Season 3, Mr. Joel Anderson. Hello, Joel. Thanks for having me this weekend. I'm glad to be a crony with you, Josh. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I don't have you. We have each other, Josh. That's true. That's true. We're in this together. Not Stefan, of course. <laughs> Joining us this week, Slate's chief news blogger, Joel's former boss, America's, <laughs> America's favorite Michigan fan. It's Ben Mathis Lilly. Hello, Ben. Hey, guys. Uh, wow. That, that's all we're going to get from you today? <laughs> no chatter? I'm ready to get right to the issues. I'm just, you know, I'm so focused on sports news and commentary that, uh, that I, I don't have time for small talk. Joel, you want to get right to it? Yeah, let's do it. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So, by the time you hear this segment, we might not have any college football to look forward to this fall. The news was moving that fast over the weekend. Friday night, we learned there would be no FCS championship after the Big Sky Conference said it would move its season to the spring. Then the Mid-American Conference, the MAC, for you lay people, announced that it would postpone fall sports. The Big Ten followed with an announcement that it would stop its progression to full pads football practices. By Sunday night, Sports Illustrated reported that high-level conference meetings were being planned this week, with the expected outcome being the cancellation of fall sports. A source told SI... In the next 72 hours, college football is going to come to a complete stop. But not everyone is willing to let the season go. On Sunday night, a group of star players, including Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields, my man crush Alabama running back Najee Harris, and Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence, tweeted out the hashtag, we want to play. Josh, 
What do you make of this new college football alliance? No, if you're more let down by like Danny Cannell tweeting this out or by Najee Harris <laughs> tweeting <laughs> out, Joel. It's a very difficult uh, time for you. It's really interesting. So they all tweeted out the the hashtag and also this graphic that says we want to play at the top, but also we are united, which is the hashtag, um, you know, the UCLA guys that we had on the show mm-hmm. last week. And the focus that we had in that conversation was, I think, more around these are people who are logical and sensible and understand that it probably doesn't make sense to play this fall. And the twist that Trevor Lawrence and his group is putting on this is like kind of co-opting and maybe not just co-opting, but kind of seeing themselves as in alliance with this um, this other group, but like, you know, moving maybe like 90 degrees in the direction towards we need to have COVID protections. We need to give players the opportunity to sit out and respect their decision, but also hashtag we want to play. And Ben, um, there's a note also in this lovely social media graphic that they're all putting out that they ultimately want to create a college football players association. So you have the specter of like this group that's kind of like being supported by, you know, the likes of Marco Rubio and other like more troglodytic right-wing sports pundits who are saying, you know, we need COVID protections and also we want a players union. It's it's a very strange moment in the history of America and sports. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a genuine twist. I mean, it, even before, so just before this has happened, uh, a, a couple people had noted that there's there's there were two hashtags. Well, you know, we are united and we want to play. And it was presumed that the players tweeting one were in opposition to the players tweeting the other. Uh, and then, in in a genuinely surprising twist, like around midnight last night, they they send out this image with the hashtags together that says, "We want to play, but we also want to form a players association." So it was actually surprising. Like not a lot of things are surprising these days. Like that was genuinely surprising seeing these two groups kind of intersect like that and and with the speed that they did. And so I think, you know, no one knows what's going to happen. I think what's going to be especially interesting is to just see how much solidarity is maintained in the next few weeks. Up to this point, uh, Justin Fields had been saying things that were a lot different than what than what UCLA players were saying than what the the Big Ten United group was saying. Uh, Trevor Lawrence had been kind of seen as the sp- spokesman for this uh, let's let's just play cause, and as you said, was getting uh, was getting his message amplified by by uh, people with let's you know with an interest in suppressing the voice of of athletes. Basically, like there's a segment of the media and of the political world that is interested in suppressing that voice. They had picked up Trevor Lawrence as their guy. Now he's gone around and said, "Yeah, I want a players' association." So something's going to happen. I don't think anyone knows what it is. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see how how much unity the players are able to maintain as this is all going going down. Do you think maybe there's a chance that they roped people in here, that this was like an okey-doke in some sort of way? Because <laughs> that sort of occurred to me last night when I saw the evolution of the Trevor Lawrence, you know, hey, everybody wants to get out here to play. And then this alliance with the We Are United group, because... I, th- I just wonder if he was counting on 
the Danny Cannells of the world, the Clay Travises to sort of glom on to the, hey, see, these guys, they really want to play. We should listen to them and then hit them with their union demands. There's a part of me that just wonders if like maybe that messaging was somehow used to draw people in that you would not expect them to be on their side and then to sort of get them into a logical knot, right? And, and part of this is because it was hard to miss that they borrowed the we want to play language used by NFL stars a few weeks earlier. Like Drew Brees, J.J. White, all these guys were tweeting about wanting to play, but under certain safe conditions. And it's just interesting because it helps sort of undercut these arguments that have emerged in the last few weeks that, hey, these guys don't necessarily want to play. They're being scary for no reason. The people who don't want college football this season. And so when you say we want to play and you make that the centerpiece of your argument, then you have to deal with that. And they say, hey, look, we want to play, but we want to play under certain circumstances, safe circumstances. And we also want to have a broader conversation about being involved in these conversations in the first place. Um, and so I, I, it, I think it's, it was really smart messaging. I, when the NFL players did it about a month ago, I thought it was really smart. And I thought it was really, really smart and very prescient of these kids to sort of trap these people into being on their side. And now they have mm-hmm. to sort of argue away from that now. I'm, I'm actually not sure about that because aren't they kind of tying us into ideological knots as well? Mm. So, okay, we've been saying for years, I think all of us, that players, uh, college football players, college athletes should have more rights, that they should be listened to, that they should unionize, that they should be paid, all of this stuff. And so I think where that leaves us now is you have guys like Trevor Lawrence who are co-opting that argument and that language and are driving maybe towards an outcome that we wouldn't support, right? Like, I think, Joel, you've been saying, and you've been a great voice on this for months, that like, there's no way to do this safely, that, you know, players are going to die if there's football in the fall. And so, you know, you have a guy like Najee Harris, who you love as a football player, saying... I love Najee Harris so much. Yeah. (laughs) Saying, you know, things that you like to hear, like that we should have a, a union, that players should be given the chance to opt out, but is also pushing... The sport to have games and practices and all this stuff in the in the fall that are not that it doesn't seem like it's a good idea. I think that that's a, a strategic maneuver for one. Like I, I, I mean, I do. Well, think, you would like to think that it's a strategic maneuver. Well, I would like to think that, but I do understand, and I also have said this all the way through that football players, athletes, they want to play. Like they spend ninety nine point nine percent of their lives training, working out. You know, going through this like torture, essentially, to get their bodies in shape for game day. Game day is the only thing that matters. You only get so many of them in your lives. I totally understand why they want to do everything they can to make that possible. And I think that that's the smart thing to do, that they didn't have any sense that conference executives, their own athletic directors, school presidents would do anything to ensure that, you know, that the protocols and everything else were completely safe for them. Like they wanted some assurances. We're not involved in these conversations. And so they're like, well, hey, if we're going to have to play, we need these sort of conditions to be met. And so I think that's where this is all leading. And so they're like, hey, look, we'll play if you put all these things in place for us. And so I don't, I think that at least for me, it feels sort of, sort of consistent with what I've been saying all along that, yeah, I mean, they probably shouldn't play. They want to play. If they could find a way to play, I bet they would. And so maybe this is them trying to like navigate that argument. 
Yeah. So uh, one way I've been thinking about this and, and having written that, you know, I think I wrote this piece for Josh. This The headline was, we don't deserve sports, something like that. Like uh, definitely in the United States, we have not met the conditions as a society to bring to bring most sports back. I think kind of the flip side of it and and the way I look at it and I can kind of see the player's perspective is, should it be possible to play a college football season at, at this time, six months after the, the pandemic started? Yes, we should be able to do it. Other countries are playing sports, are playing co- contact sports. The soccer is a, you know, a sport where there's a lot of pos- uh, chance to uh, transmit the virus. Other countries have the virus under control in their entire society in a way that we don't hear. So I do see from their perspective when they're saying, hey, wait a minute, why should we be the fall guys? As you say, Joel, like they only get a certain number of chances to play the games. You know, there are guys that probably want to play because they want to, you know, to, sh- to put on a show for NFL scouts. You know, like there are guys that, that aren't, aren't on the radar right now that probably want to play the season because they think they can prove something. So I can see their perspective saying, wait a minute. Every you know this, it's obviously possible to get this together. The NBA got it together. Soccer soccer leagues around the world are getting together. Why should I miss my season because my administrators and my local government are screwing it up? And so that's where I see that's how I see these uh, things kind of being in you know in harmony. Like I I, I think that, that they are correct in saying right now it's too dangerous, but I also think that they're correct in saying like you know, there is a version of the world where it's safe or as safe as, as, as it's ever going to be uh, to, play, to play college football this season. And so I see their perspective, uh, you know, and I see what they're trying to do to, to make that happen. I, it, it seems like it's too late. I, I just can't imagine with camps already having started in, you know, in the Big Ten, as you mentioned, they're, they're, they're already in practices right now. It just seems too difficult to set up an entire logistical apparatus of the kind that they're laying out and I think that, you know, the Big Ten United Statement uh, and the Pac-12 United Statement like laid out exactly what you would need for this. But, you know, can, can 120 school, 100, you know, 20, 130 schools get that together in two or three weeks in order to start the season on September 5th? I, I, it just seems impossible to me. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I think it's too late. And that's why I'm looking at this a little bit differently than you are, Joel. It's like, so it, it seems like administrators school presidents, whoever, have come to the realization over the weekend that this isn't going to happen, that there's not going to be any possibility to put the measures in place to make this work. And I think they're also scared about the potential liability issues around health and safety. I mean, with everything we've been seeing about heart issues with athletes, I mean, the it's just not a risk, I think, that at least everyone is going to be willing to take. And it's the other thing that's really interesting here is that the group of five schools, the ones that are outside the Power Five conferences, are always just getting bossed around and led around by um, the big schools. And in this case, it seems like the Mid-American Conference is maybe for the first time ever kind of pushing the big schools around. When a conference, even if it's a smaller conference, like the MAC, cancels the season, that shows everyone shows the other schools and shows the country like, okay, we can cancel like this, this can happen. And if the power five schools decided to go on anyway, they would really be putting themselves out there. And, and whether it's in a potential lawsuit or whether it's just in terms of public opinion, they would have to answer for the fact that another parallel institution decided it wasn't safe and was going to cancel and they just proceeded and went ahead. And so all that being said, when Trevor Lawrence and Najee Harris 
and Justin Fields and all these guys put out this statement, I'm not looking at it as like, yeah, if we can do all this like X, Y, and Z things and go through all of these, like thread this needle, then maybe we can play safely. I mean, I think we're already past that. Like, I, th- I think it's not possible. And so it just reads to me as, even though it's not safe, we want to play anyway. Mm, I mean, I think that to get some degree of public sentiment behind you, athletes understand that they're very rarely going to get the support of the public when they advocate for themselves and advocate for their rights, you know, for their labor rights. That, you I mean, know, this is a rare case when the like kind of super conservative college football fan is going to be on the side of the like, quote unquote, mouthy college athlete who's like saying, I want my I want my rights. Right. Yeah, right. And so that's why I think that this is sort of a way to bind them up and to say, all right, well, you guys like, we like football, you like football, this is how it has to happen. And so you might get a guy, you know, that you normally wouldn't see supporting college athletes say, you know, you're right, man, they do deserve healthcare coverage and all, you know, all these sort of other sorts of things they wouldn't normally care about, ordinarily care about. I did see on, on uh, Tiger Droppings, the like insane LSU message board, someone (laughs) literally like, Someone literally wrote, this wouldn't be happening if there was a union. And I was like, oh, that is, that is like the least likely sentence to be written on, on Tiger Dropping. So I think you are right about that, Joel. I do see that, like I'm seeing like this morning, it's, it's all happening so fast, it's hard to keep track of. But I'm seeing some kind of like, the pessimist take on this is like, okay, kind of like what Josh is saying. Like, the players said this. So now that they've shown that they want to play, maybe the commissioners are going to go be like, okay. But then... Oh, we don't all, oh, by the way, uh, we didn't have time to do all that stuff you asked for. So, oh, wait, now you're playing and, and uh, you didn't get your union, you didn't get your health protections. You know, I could kind of see that happening. But I also think, um, and I thought of this when, Joel, when you, when you, when you asked if maybe this was a, a kind of bait and switch on the part of the players. I mean, it does seem like it also is possible that it happened organically because these guys who do want to play, and the guys who are more cautious about it realize that, like, the one thing that they do have in common is they want to be involved in the discussions, mm-hmm. you know? And so, like, even if Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields do have, like, a relatively more, let's call it, conservative position uh, on labor rights, um, I sent this to Josh earlier, but Fields, you know, they asked him about this at a press conference. He said, well, I'm not one of those guys who's, you know, really, you know, really needs to go get my money in the NFL. So I'm not worrying about this stuff too much. I'm just going to go out here and play for my teammates. You know, like he was not a radical on this, but he has the same interests as a, as a player from the Pac-12 who's concerned about uh, their health. You know, they all want to do it safely. And so maybe what's happening is just these players did realize that they do have a lot in common. And even if they don't agree on every single thing, the best way for them to all get that they want is to just have a voice. And that's one thing I think you keep see all of them keep saying, like, we want a voice. We want a voice. Like, Trevor Lawrence wants that. You know, the Washington State guys want that. You know, they all have an interest in being in the room, regardless of what their ultimate goal is. Yeah, and do you know what really brought that into focus for me was a couple of weeks ago when the Washington Post, or maybe it was actually a week ago at this point, when the Washington Post got the leaked audio the conversation between the SEC players and, you know, SEC conference executives or whatever. And, you know, they basically said, well, hey, man, you guys got to go out there. You might get sick, but whatever, you know, and the players are like, I just don't think that this is enough. (laughs) And you could just kind of imagine that other players and other conferences are looking at that conversation, seeing what's going on there. And they're like, oh, wait, they are totally prepared to expose us to this deadly virus and just, you know, take whatever comes. And so you could see maybe a national organization, the sort of the outlines of it forming along those lines. 
Yeah, I mean, at Wisconsin, the news over the weekend was the Wisconsin players kind of on their own before the Big Ten announced that it was going to slow down the practice schedule. The Wisconsin players basically came to the coach and said, like, we're not going to go take the next step until we get some more information. And, and you know, Wisconsin, that's that's like an old school program. Like, uh, that's only one of your real blue collar authoritarian kind of <laughs> programs. And so if those guys are doing it, uh, you, you have to think that it's it's going to be happening everywhere. And I think a big part of it might be just the six months that we've all had to sit around and think, right? Like, like one of the uh, players that Bamani Jones interviewed uh, in his article about this for The Undefeated mentioned something that really struck me, which was just like, we're so busy, we don't have time to think about our rights. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I think that, we, the, you know, we've all seen, like, what, what a college athlete's schedule looks like, you know, like 5, 15 a.m. training, like 7 to 15 tutoring, you know, and, like, they've got their days filled until 10 at night, and then they go back and do it again. And so, like, what part of that day is talk to my peers from around the country about my rights? Like, there's, it's not in there, but now there's time because there's nothing else to do. And so maybe that's why it's happening. Yeah, so I think we all have uh, more to say about this, but we should in the conversation here and we'll come back and do a little bit more at the end of the show when we're done with after balls because I want to uh, raise this specter for Joel Donald Trump tweeting I agree with Najee Harris so I'm just going <laughs> to leave that I'm oh. just going to leave that seed I literally yelped That was a preview of this week's episode of Hang Up and Listen to hear the whole thing sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com/hangupplus it's only $35 for the first year and your membership will help sustain our show. That's slate.com slash hangup plus. Thanks so much. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.